Hello, I'm Marit Sneiman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Introducing you to wellness experts who sincerely wish to inform and inspire. Today's topic is Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Stop struggling with negative emotions. My guest is Bertha Swanepoel, counseling psychologist from Somerset West. Welcome, Bertha. Thank you, Mariette. Very nice to be with you um, and very excited about this topic. To our listeners, after our conversation, it will be fun question time. Bertha, I'm also excited about this topic because I actually didn't know anything about this therapy. But before we go there, could you tell us a little about yourself and what you do? Mariette, I'm a counseling psychologist in Somerset West, working in private practice. I share the, the office space with Dr. Kubis van der Waal, who is a psychiatrist. Yeah, I would say uh, people uh, that come to make an appointment with me are mainly because of some kind and form of anxiety or mood disorders, uh, which is... I guess most uh, psychologists work with and um, from early on when I started to work with people I realized that just to be present with people and to talk with them is a privilege and through the processes that we're going to talk about uh, I believe um, one can assist uh, greatly in people's suffering and struggles. Part of that also is relationship uh, dynamics that I address. So sometimes I also do couples therapy, which is also very rewarding and very challenging. Thank you, Bertis. Now today we're talking about acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT. How did you come to use this approach in your practice? Yeah, very interesting. I actually read a book, which I found in exclusive books, called um, When in Doubt, Make Believe, which was written by a journalist from the US. And um, he struggled with obsessive compulsive disorder and he almost set out a year, like a sabbatical, to you know, learn as much as he could about OCD, as we call it, obsessive compulsive disorder. And um, after his year of research, he wrote the book, and uh, what he concluded from the book, uh, somebody came up to him and said, you know what, that your own personal experience and what works for you and what you've learned is uh, very much aligned with the therapy model called acceptance and commitment therapy. And then he has a very short interview with one of the main founders of the therapy model, uh, Steve Hayes. And then they have this short interview where Steve Hayes explains a little bit of acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, shortly called ACT, not ACT, but ACT. Um, I think through the interview, you'll understand why we just call it that uh, ACT and not ACT. And um, I was very intrigued and I thought, you know what, I'll do some, some training in this therapy model because there are many therapy models and approaches within psychotherapy and psychology. And uh, when I started to, to look on the internet for training opportunities in South Africa, I found that they, almost nobody gave workshops in acceptance and commitment therapy. And also, 
struggle to find a person in South Africa that um, is familiar with this modality. Luckily, I found Ingrid Ord, who was uh, from the UK, registered at the UK, but uh, came to live in Eisner. And, um, you know, I approached her and she was very happy to share her knowledge. And she was already um, about nine or 10 years um, familiar with, with acceptance and commitment therapy. And, uh, you know, I spent four days with her. And uh, I was, they say is um, the rest is history because um, from there on, I personally became aware of the changes in myself. Small things like um, allowing yourself to feel what you feel has become very liberating. And uh, I think it was a combination of uh, my own enthusiasm about how I felt the changes within myself because of this approach and also the support that I got from overseas from the Association for Contextual Behavioral Sciences, the ACBS, who invited me to attend a world conference um, in Minneapolis in 20, 2014. Yeah, and then since then, we've started to start the chapter of the ACBS in South Africa. And, um, you know, we started to invite presenters over from overseas. And, you know, after a while, one gets the confidence to start to give workshops oneself. So I started in 2019 to present uh, introduction to ACT courses. And then uh, as the colleagues grew and the interest grew, you know, the chapter is growing. Started to share a few uh, with other colleagues of mine, a few workshops. So, yeah, it's um, it's a great journey. So it's about 10 years, yeah, actually almost 10 years from the first time I uh, attended the workshop with Ingrid in Eisner. And I can say um, that luckily it's not so unfamiliar in South Africa anymore because of the, the chapter and our initiatives to disseminate it in South Africa. Well, I hope that through this podcast, some listeners who, who may just be people who are looking for psychological support may get to know it. And then also some of your colleagues, as you say, who might not be familiar with it, might also get to know more about it. Yeah, yeah. It's quite big uh, overseas in the US and uh, Europe, Australia. So it was uh, very interesting that for some reason it wasn't very familiar. And from 2013 onwards, um, we started really to um, present. And yeah, I would love your your listeners to become aware of this model, uh, which I believe can make a big difference in um, some people's lives. So, Bertus, what is acceptance and commitment therapy? Well, it's a, it's a therapy modality. As I said before, you know, there are many approaches uh, to psychology and behavior change. And acceptance and commitment therapy is um, mainly stemming from behavioral analysis where a lot of research was done to look at behavior change and what is actually effective in helping people to change their behaviors um, and better their psychological flexibility. And after a few years of research, Steve Hayes and colleagues um, coined the therapy model in 1999 uh, as acceptance and commitment therapy. But then they already had about 15 plus years of research done on the topic to know what processes uh, actually creates behavior change and what one can use in a session to help the client 
when they feel stuck. So it's a therapy modality, what we call is evidence-based. Um, it's approved by the American Psychological Association for for the treatment of a few disorders, and that is continuously being done. So the the therapy itself focuses on the two main points of what helps with psychological flexibility, and that is, as the word is stating, acceptance and commitment. One can be misled that the words, <laughs> it sounds so simplistic, right? Acceptance, you only need to accept and commit. But the processes involved and why this is so difficult for us to change is philosophically and theoretically well-defined within acceptance and commitment therapy. So what you find within acceptance and commitment therapy is a well-rounded philosophy, theory, and intervention that we find is effective in helping people to get unstuck. And there's a good um, continuous conversation happening between clinicians which means the therapist that actually uses the model and the researchers, which keeps on talking to one another to look at how we can refine and better the efficacy of uh, this intervention to help people to create psychological flexibility. Maybe later on we'll, ex we'll describe the word better, but for now that's in short what acceptance and commitment is about, is accepting your inner world as it is, in the inner world, we can define as your thoughts, your feelings, and sensations, which means that those are the things inside of your skin that only you are aware of. But then there's also this world outside of our skin in which we live and breathe and engage with others where we then say that commitment is then to be able to commit to things that's important to us outside of our skin as this complexity happens inside of us. And the therapy model addresses both aspects very well. Before we take a closer look at ACT, which practitioners use this therapy? Well, any practitioners can actually use the model. Um, ACT is very open source. What I mean by that is life coaches, um, social workers, psychologists, even clergy can use this model. It's it's not a it's not a, a therapy model that you um, that's very stringent on levels of expertise before you can use the model. So it's mainly uh, used by most people who wants to create behavior change in either individuals or in group settings. We also find that in socially cultural stuck environments that the model with the, that we use within ACT can help people even in um, pro-social environment to, to create pro-socially positive outcomes in groups and communities, that even there this model can be applicable. That sounds very wide. Now, individuals see therapists because they experience suffering of some kind. How is suffering defined in terms of ACT? Well, I think that's a very, very good question. And I think it's it's um, important that we maybe sit uh, and explain the difference between pain and suffering. Okay, so let's say psychological pain or physical pain 
would be a discomfort that you're experiencing. So physically, it's easy to understand when one is in pain. We work sometimes with clients who struggle with chronic pain. Is this reality that, you know, even after they've used the medication or all the interventions that they're using to lessen the pain, there's this reality that the pain sometimes is still present. And then we need to get clever with how to deal with the pain. So suffering is mostly created when we don't want the pain to be what it is. And therefore, we struggle with the fact that we have pain. So physical pain is that there's a resistance to the chronic pain and people are psychologically depressed because I can't believe I'm experiencing this. And then the mind tries to solve the pain or project fears into the future. And that creates a lot of emotional and psychological suffering. But then we can also look at pain as psychological pain is the loss of a loved one, um, being very concerned over a future event. I'm very stressed, can be very anxious. And then um, the suffering is created when, you know, we have these thoughts and feelings about the anxiety that I'm not supposed to feel anxious. There's something wrong with me. And that increases the anxiety and that creates more anxiety. So it's like uh, a very paradoxical thing that the less you want the anxiety to be there, the more the anxiety seems to be an issue. And therefore, I have more anxiety. So the suffering is therefore the relationship to the pain which we psychologically as human beings, because of language, as proposed by ACT, creates. And then uh, that creates um, the psychological suffering that makes us feel stuck. Does it make sense? It does. It's a very interesting take. I've never thought of it that way. You have mentioned that the acceptance in acceptance and commitment therapy means acceptance of your inner world. Would you like to say more about that? Yeah, so maybe just uh, for the listeners at this moment, I mean, even if we become very present to listening to this podcast, just notice what, what's happening inside of your skin as you are sitting here listening to the podcast. And just notice that you know, you might have thoughts about what will happen after you've listened to this podcast. Maybe maybe you don't feel in a great space at this moment. There's stuff happening in terms of thoughts and feelings that doesn't necessarily um, is in your control or that you would want to feel or think. There's stuff happening in life. There are triggers. There's experiences of life uh, and and some of them we really don't enjoy or don't want and then in general we can group them as thoughts and feelings and sensations which are happening all the time and if you notice them now we can actually get a sense that awareness is more the ability to notice what's happening inside of you rather than controlling it. It's actually the ability to start to see what the thoughts are and to see what the feelings are about and to notice them, um, which gives us a more accepting attitude of what they are, not what they should be. Sometimes I find that the word acceptance 
is difficult sometimes to understand because it's it could feel like if you say you need to accept or not need to, but you know, give it an uh, at least a chance. It's it's sometimes better to say, are you willing to experience what you're experiencing? Mm. Whereas acceptance sometimes can feel resigning to it. So interchangeably, we can sometimes use the word willingness, but it's a stance that you take towards the inner world to say, let's look at it. Because an interesting question that um, our listeners can consider is, how much control do you have over what's happening inside of your skin right now? Just think about the, the content that your mind brings you. Is there, a, is there a place where you decide to have these thoughts or are they just entering your consciousness? So maybe, Mariette, you can tell me, what's your experience? If you sit and you just become quiet with me and you just notice what's happening inside of your skin in terms of thoughts. Yes. Do you want to have those thoughts or is, is this just is there a quality to them that's almost automatic? What's your sense? I think there's a quality that's almost automatic because being in the seat where I am, uh, having an interview with you, I always have a little anxiety of, you know, will this go right and uh, will it be clear and lucid? And I certainly didn't decide to have that experience. It arises, as you say, of its uh, of yes. its own accord. Yes, that that's exactly what we all experience, right? So, you being a little bit anxious, I can tell you, me too, on this side uh, <laughs> of this call. So we we don't we don't want to feel these feelings, but I mean, it's almost normal. I mean, uh, this this paradoxical thing that we want to do very important things as human beings, and then we say, well, I shouldn't be anxious about it. Mm. Well, actually, you're supposed to be anxious. If it's important, <laughs> you will actually gauge, you will gauge normally with yourself. So it's a, it's an open stance to normalize some of the rules that our mind gives us about how we're supposed to feel, rather than to just notice what we are feeling and then get clever with them, of course. Mm. But there's this, there's just this thing that we we want to con the mind wants to control everything even our anxiety and then it's like the mind wants to solve anxiety and there's nothing to solve there's ways to be with it differently yes but to solve anxiety when you do very important things it's uh it's setting you up for failure mm. yes so it sounds to me like a relief to think that one can just notice what's going on. Yeah, so of course, in some sense, uh, it's very overwhelming. Um, and therefore, they are very important processes that and tools that we can use to be more okay with our non-okayness in a way. Mm. Um, but I always like to say, you know, to have a good self-image, if you think about it, a good self-image is not a person that thinks of themselves positively all the time. It's actually to be more okay with your non-okayness that gives you more um, ability to be present and to do what is important to you. I love it when I have teenagers in my practice who tells me that they have a bad self-image to tell them, me too. <laughs> because 
it actually underlines this thing that we can be with these thoughts and feelings and sensations in a way that's empowering rather than restricting. Yeah, I think that already gives one some insight into this therapy. And then, then the other big word, commitment, what does that refer to? So we would say that you know, if you look at the combination of your inner world and the world outside of your skin, we can say, all right, so whilst stuff's happening within me that I can relate to differently, I'm not necessarily controlling the experience itself directly. I have a few options in what my feet can do with, let's say, for instance, your example with the anxiety, let's say feet in general, are we, in general, we can just say that your actions, right? The stuff that happens outside of your skin, it's a choice you can make in what you're going to do. So in your example, in your experience, setting up this podcast and making this interview happen, there's a lot of behaviors that need to happen. There were stuff that you need to do to make this happen. Even with anxiety present, you had choices in a few things, which was absolutely in your control. Whilst you were not absolutely in control of what you feel whilst you, whilst you were doing it, you could have actually do a few things. So the commitment part is towards what you as a person value in life. So acceptance and commitment therapy actually is also very interested in what your values are in life. And values can sometimes be, some people compare values or make a, you know, it's like synonymous to goals, but it's actually very much different. Value is a way of being that you can choose in life in the moment you're in it. You know, there are many uh, exercises that one can do. But if I ask you, you know, what's really important in your life? What what would you like to stand for in your life? There would be some description there that we can work with to say, you know, what value do you take from this life? What, what do you value do you want to add? Now, I'm just going to use one example to make it more practical. Let's say I say to you, um, quality relationships are important to me. That's a value. You know, that will always be important. doesn't matter if I'm anxious or not. I want to make quality relationships important in my life. Then I can address and commit to actions that will serve those values, even when my inner world is very complicated and maybe overwhelmed. And what we find in research is, and this is the behavioral side of ACT, is actually doing those behaviors that's important to me, even with the complexities that I feel inside of myself, doing them edifies me. It's like in my feet, I'm reinforcing a way of life that's empowering to me, which can learn my mind different ways of being. So the commitment part is the action part of of my life, which I can put sweat equity in, where I can talk, where I can move, where I can speak, uh, where I can be in my in my behaviors in such a way that I'm I'm in line with what I care about in life. Yeah, so with your priorities. Yeah, your priorities. And the commitment part is actually more in your control. 
Um, let's say a person tells me um, that they are very anxious in meeting new people. Let's say it's a social anxiety disorder. And we've established ways where this person can be softer towards that specific anxiety, you know, accepting that, you know, because it's important to connect with people, you do feel the anxiety rather than to try and get rid of the anxiety before you go to the bri. Let's say this person was invited to a bri but feeling very anxious. We would rather work on saying, you know what, it makes sense that you're going to be anxious. Um, can you have anxiety and still go to the bri? And maybe go for half an hour or an hour. And because the person is more softer towards the fact that they are anxious, the chances of them going and actually liberating themselves by going is higher. But if I give in to this anxiety in a way where I say, no, I can't feel this, I'm not supposed to feel this, and they don't go to the bri, you know, in reality, sometimes, because it's such a big value to connect with people, one feels more depressed by not going rather than to go. That's what we're trying to commit to. We're trying to commit with our feet in some way. So it's also important that you don't commit necessarily in two bigger steps because that makes one sometimes, if we look at anxiety, too anxious. Small steps are better than no steps. And then to say, well, maybe just reply to the WhatsApp of the invitation and say, I would really like to come but unfortunately, uh, I can't do this weekend, but uh, keep me in mind for the next. It could be a small step where you just tell the person, please invite me again. That could be already a committed action, which sometimes already gives one the option of doing something different with anxiety um, than doing nothing. And just wait for one day when anxiety is not present and your self-esteem is so great that you will then go to the bride. So it's, it's challenging this life principle where our minds tell us that one day when, then. It's like one day when, let's say, I'm not, not anxious, then I'll be okay. Or one day when I'm not single anymore, then. One day when it almost is like the mind creates these problems for us as, as if it's a precondition that we need to fix before we can have life. Whilst acceptance calls in all of the discomfort and say, oh, it's life. Life's going to be like that. It's sometimes messy, but can I live whilst I am having these experiences and do something with my feet and commit to those things? You've mentioned social anxiety disorder. Which other problems or conditions can be effectively addressed by ACT? I think there's a good evidence-based specific, well, I would say the, the strongest one is chronic pain treatment. So mainly people who find, um, you know, they've seen all the specialists, the rheumatologists, et cetera, and, you know, they've done what they could in terms of handling pain, um, very effective in doing act with them because we're trying to create and build a life around the pain or with the pain in such a way that the quality of life is increased and you almost become bigger uh, and that the pain doesn't diminish your life into smaller and smaller ways, if if possible. But then anxiety disorders, uh, mood disorders in all categories, even in relationships, uh, we find great tools, even applying this to teenager clients. It's a, it's a broad base of application, um, which I, I, I guess one can say, it doesn't matter where you look at which context in your life, there is always the inner world doing stuff with you. 
and mm. then um, to relate to it in a more effective and a profound way, strengthening your your um, your sense of self, allowing yourself to be bigger than what your mind says you can do by doing things differently. It's it's applicable in most in most aspect of psychological suffering. When a client comes to you with a specific problem, do you then work with them to define a specific goal? Yeah, so on a practical level, one should um, try and get a sense of what this person feels like they will do if, you know, it's like the magic wand question. You know, if I have a magic wand and you didn't have these difficulties, these complexities of let's say they're anxious or depressed or whatever, what will be different? And they they tell you what they would like to do with their lives. It's on a practical level outcomes that they would want to achieve. And you as a, an act therapist will listen to uh, what they want to achieve and where they feel stuck. And then you apply the processes that we find creates the flexibility to get those things done to live the life uh, more in line with what they feel and deem important that will create more meaning in their lives. Yeah, it's a, it's like introducing processes to help them along and to make them understand that some of these problem statements or the reasons why they are coming, we can try and experientially give them a sense of what's working and what's not working in terms of what they want out of life and what they think they should achieve in life. So I, I, I would say in a general sense, it's um, almost making the client aware of how thoughts run their lives and making rules for how life should be where there's actually this experiential side in us and more embodied approach where we actually notice that some of the stuff that the mind gives us doesn't work and the workability of what we're doing is tested. And therefore the problem statement can be redefined in very behavioral ways or in um, less problematic ways to actually get clever with what the mind is telling them. And maybe uh, we should go a little bit into the cognition itself and the understanding of it. But in a general sense, we want to make the client more experientially aware of their life and also the workability of what they're doing rather than what's right or wrong. Because um, the right and wrongness of the mind can sometimes, it can sometimes help us, of course, but in some sense, um, the right black and whiteness of what the mind is doing is sometimes really not helpful and creates a lot of anxiety. Let's look at a couple of examples. If a client comes to you and says they want to lose weight, how could the therapy unfold? Very relevant topic. I, you know, it's um, it's important then to to let the client understand what they are truly thinking and feeling about themselves. What are the, the rules that they have about, what are the rules of acceptance in terms of why do they want to lose the weight? So we would rather want uh, to, to get an understanding of what the fears and what are the triggers that makes the person feel that they need to maybe emotionally eat to start to understand, you know, what are 
What are the thoughts? What are the self-evaluations? What are the fears? Uh, what are the typical emotional experience or states that happens just before they start maybe binge eating? And for the client to become aware of what the emotions are about, it could be loneliness, it could be stress, it could be whatever. But to make them aware of what precedes the eating, what precedes the behavior, and then try and untangle and look at uh, an accepting approach of what if you allow that sense to be there? Because if you look at the function in this scenario, uh, the function of the eating could be to get rid of this feeling, right? Mm. So it's almost like we subconsciously or in an unconscious way trying to eat away the stress in some sense for some people. For some people, it could be opposite. So if somebody's got an eating disorder, you know, they might be very stringent and get more rules and, and, and eat less. But both of them has this quality to them that I'm not supposed to feel what I'm feeling in a deeper on a deeper level. If you can be more accepting and more open to that, you can actually get to know yourself better, hopefully become more flexible with those feelings and don't feel the need to necessarily intervene in a behavior uh, that tries to get rid of it and therefore make different choices of what they're eating and why they want to lose weight, because I would rather look at what the values are behind them being more healthy and losing weight, uh, which can be as a more quality of, of value rather than fear, where people, we would look at the function of the behavior. Are there more positive things to, to eat for, more healthy for, rather than to move away from? Let's say it's um, I want to lose weight because nobody likes me if I'm, let's say, over, overweight. It could be helpful to say, well, it seems like um, quality relationships are important to you. And we would maybe try and look at maybe our quality relationships and healthy living and all of those aspects to bring that to the forefront of their mind and acknowledge the negative sense uh, of rejection, etc., carry it a little bit differently, but try and move along in committed actions towards workable ways of dealing with it rather than um, I'm not supposed to the rules. If I say rules in, in cognition is maybe our listeners can just notice that we have many rules about how things should be or supposed to be. And sometimes it's just good to quiet yourself down and just be mindful of what is actually the rules that I have here. And sometimes it's good to write these almost rules down. You know, I'm only acceptable when. Um, what's acceptable and non not acceptable. To Just to get to know, you know, the history of this in your own mind, of where it comes from. That sounds like a very hands-on approach. Very practical, yes. But uh, we don't notice these thoughts because... You know, because of, um, well, the relational frame theory is the theory within ACT, uh, the theory of language and cognition. And to say, well, you know what, if we look at what thoughts are and how they function, and we, we don't even know how we use language and thoughts, it's like oxygen. We don't notice how we use oxygen until I ask you to notice your breathing. And in the same way, our thoughts can be so reactive and so busy 
and he can run our lives uh, so fully with all these rules that we don't even notice how we're handing our lives over to fearful thoughts. But within acceptance and commitment therapy, we find ways of actually starting to notice these thoughts and look at the workability of how they sometimes serve you and sometimes not. Uh, you know, it's very interesting to note that this uh, paradoxical thing of our minds, let's say a person has a thought that, uh, let's say, I'm not good enough, which is a very familiar thought, I guess, for most of our listeners. Now, if I say, look, let's look at the, the function of the thought rather than, you know, that it's a good or a bad thought. For some people, having a thought, I'm not good enough, empowers them. They read more on a topic. They invest more time in getting better at a topic or whatever the reason is for their mind giving them I'm not good enough. And they, therefore, I would say, you know, for them, having a thought that I'm not good enough really served them well. They related to their thoughts in a, in a way that was empowering. But on the other hand, if I have a thought uh, I'm not good enough and now I feel bad about myself and I withdraw from people and my life becomes smaller, then I would say that same thought's not serving you and, and mindfulness makes you aware of the function of these thoughts to notice how is it helpful in certain ways to believe the thought and to just buy it as it is. And maybe to help along to get a better understanding of this, we have many metaphors that we use to, to try and get a, a sense of what we're aiming for in terms of language and cognition. So, Hopefully, most listeners are familiar with a sushi, a sushi restaurant, mm -hmm. um, and most of the restaurants have a sushi bar where people sat um, on the edge of a, a conveyor belt where there's a chef in the middle making sushi. Are you familiar with this metaphor? Do you, have you seen it? Yes. Or do you eat sushi? Uh, now and then. I'm not a great fan, but I do eat it. But I have seen <laughs> sushi bars, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nice metaphor where we can actually say, um, okay, so this chef, right, prepares different meals for the people who are not familiar, makes different, uh, setting up different dishes, and he or she puts it on this conveyor belt that passes by the customers. And the customers, let's say you are there with your friend, your best friend, you're having a great time, and you are talking about stuff. And now you look at the conveyor belt and it's like, oh, I think I'm, you know, I want that dish. They are normally color plated. Then you know certain colors uh, has a certain rand value to them or monetary. You have to pay so much for that one. And then at the end of the day, you just go and pay for those that you've picked off the conveyor belt. And this is a nice metaphor to say, you know, um, what if I tell you your mind is like the chef? It's always busy trying to solve things, trying to anticipate things. And it puts it on, and you become aware of different thoughts that comes by. But what if I tell you, you're not necessarily responsible for what the chef is making. You're more responsible for what you're buying. And therein lies the acceptance of you're not choosing what the chef is making. Your history determines that. Let's say a dog bit me as a child and it didn't bite you as a child, Mariette. And we walk alongside a road and a dog come unexpectedly towards us. My heart rate will go higher than yours. Mm. I don't choose that. Does it make sense? Yes. 
My history determines that. Where I got hurt, how I understood myself to be, where I'm coming from, that all plays into what what my mind brings me. So if my chef brings me stuff, I don't have to buy everything, but I don't choose necessarily that it's brought forward. Sometimes we sit with clients, and myself included, that we feel guilty for the fact that our mind presents us with these uncertainties, anxieties. But what if it's normal, but we get clever with it and we learn not to buy everything our mind is selling us? We don't have to buy everything. And that ability is what we call the acceptance. So the paradox here is the more I tell you that you are responsible for what the chef is making, you can't have a good time with your friend anymore. And you're still not in control of what the chef is doing. Or sit back, enjoy, do life. Let's notice what your mind is bringing you. And then get the skill going of flexibly buy and not buy what is working for me rather than buying everything it's selling. Oh, I really like that metaphor. I think it's very empowering. Yeah, it, it is because we're trying to put the control where it actually is, in the, in the relationship to thoughts, relationship to sensation, relationship to feelings are actually more controllable. And we can actually get that sense of self and actually notice that there's a part of me that can actually notice what my mind is doing. I'm not my mind. I have a mind, but I don't have to buy everything my mind is telling me. And therefore, there's more choice. There's choice if I have a mind. I'm bigger than my mind. That's why we can expand what the mind is learning through our feet. And we like to say sometimes in act, sometimes the answers are in your feet, not in your head. Because your head tries and solve itself, whereas your feet can give it new learnings and new experiences. Quick note on what I do and why I do it. I'm a content entrepreneur creating podcasts and articles for my own platform and for various magazines and digital platforms. My weekly podcast episodes and the articles on my website focus on emotional health, parenting, love relationships and the life challenges we all face. Each episode and article features a therapist, coach or other wellness professional so you can get to know them and find an expert who will resonate with you should you need one. After all, online therapy and coaching means we can connect across continents. Don't forget the up close and personal articles on my website which offer you a peek at the person behind the expert. If you're a wellness expert who'd like to be featured on my platform, just click on services on my website and then send me an email. Now, back to my guest. Maybe this is a good place to ask about the six processes that ACT involves. 
Yeah, so um, I don't want to go into to a lot of detail about it because I would say that's more for the practitioners than for the client to know, uh, other than to say it's the ability to notice your thoughts as thoughts, and we can achieve that through just talking about ourselves. People must not underestimate the value of being vulnerable in a confidential space where you can actually say things as they are. Because with your family or your friends, you would, depending on how your relationship is with them, you know, sometimes we just don't say things as they are because we know about the reaction that we're going to get or we don't want to disappoint or whatever. So we, you know, we talk around things, we don't say certain things, but then where else can you find a space where you can just notice and talk about what's actually present and being vulnerable about it? So part of the process is, is just to notice thoughts as thoughts and to be more willing to have your inner world as it is and not what it's supposed to be. I want to invite the listeners to just get a sense. If I say to you, just consider this. What if what you are feeling and thinking, rightly or wrongly, is something to consider, is something to experience, and then make choices about what you're going to do with them. And that I'm inviting you to feel what you feel. And maybe find a confidential space where you can talk about these feelings. And therefore get some traction going on relating to them more effectively. And not try and struggle with them to try and change them first before you're going to make a life for yourself. It's actually this place of saying, why don't we just try and be a little bit more imperfect inside of our skins whilst we try with our feet to do things in the right way? It's like we're just challenging an acceptance and commitment therapy, this rule, again, what the mind gives you that one day when then, we're trying to say, no, but you can do some of these things already, even if you're imperfect and you don't have all the answers. There are stuff you can do. It's this metaphor of, you know, maybe driving from, Pretoria to Cape Town and you're in a car and you are so involved, the mind is so involved in how far is the next town, how long are we going to drive to the next town and then after you've arrived at that town, then it's the next one. So the mind has this tendency to just focus on the next target, the next solvable thing, the next thing to solve. And why don't we just say, well, whilst we're driving to Cape Town, let's roll down the windows and enjoy the Karoo. I mean, that's what we're trying to do is to try and roll down the windows of life whilst we're doing life and become more present to the richness of what's around you and getting clever with the difficulties that our minds present as whilst we're on this journey. That's beautifully explained. Bertus, how would you summarize the advantages of ACT? Well, the main aim of acceptance and commitment therapy is is to create psychological flexibility. And let me define it then. I have a cactus in my practice to demonstrate this. So let's say the thorns of, of the cactus represents difficult, painful thoughts, self-evaluations, feelings, difficult feelings, even, even pain, literally pain, you know, as in chronic pain. But let's say these thorns represent them. And we say, all right, so we, we're going to look at these thorns some of them we're not going to be able to pull. It's part of your history in some sense. It's not like 
um, you want to have these thorns, they're there. And now we're trying to create flexibility to not fight the thorns and actually grab it. So I have the sense of looking at this cactus and now I'm grabbing it in the thorns, trying to push it away, trying to not have the pain, trying not to have the thorns. And that's a very nice symbol of suffering. Now I'm bleeding. I'm, I'm actually bleeding on it. My relationship to the thorns is not working for me. Psychological flexibility is what if I cut the cactus and I carry it in open hand? So it still lies on my hands. The thorns are still there, but I'm open to it. I want the listeners to hear that. Just think about it. It's the same cactus. I don't fight it for being one, but I carry it. I'm acknowledging it. I can still sense the thorns there, but now I'm, my hands are not enclosed on it or fighting or resisting it. Now, I, if I keep my hands open with this cactus, and now I say, well, there are choices with my feet where I can take this cactus. And that is, in general, what we aim for in psychological flexibility, is to be more open to the cactus and then to do some footwork, right, towards what's important. So we can simplify it to say, carry your burdens lightly while you're pursuing your life in your feet passionately. And that's psychological flexibility. That's the outcome that we want in ACT. Thank you, Bertis. Where can listeners learn more about your work? Well, uh, if they want to reach out to me personally, on my website is www.bertiswanapool.co.za. Just one word, the name and surname. We are a few ACT practitioners in South Africa. The main resource of ACT in, in the world is a very great website, which has a lot of resources as well as the, is the ACBS. So I would encourage listeners also then to Google ACBS, just the, the four letters, and they will go through to contextualscience.org, which is the website that's combining research tools, etc., for practitioners, but also for the general uh, public out there. And yeah, there are positives to just um, look at some resources. But yeah, when they, when they want to get to know more of it, they can Google it, as most people do, I guess. Thank you. And I will link those two websites to the podcast. Then just two more questions. Do you work online? I do, yes. So uh, people can see me online. Uh, we can make an appointment online. I normally use Zoom as a platform, but the details of that we can sort out. So people are also welcome to contact me via my website. Uh, my details are on it and uh, we can take it from there. Right. And the second question, if any mental health practitioners are interested in ACT training, where can they find out more about that? Yeah, Mariette, they are very welcome uh, to contact us, meaning me and three, uh, two other colleagues of mine that uh, started a platform where we can check in on a monthly basis to do some supervision group, but also do some training, We're trying to get overseas uh, presenters as well. And uh, they can have a look at contextuallyconscious.com to find more information regarding training. Right, I'll include that link in the podcast notes. Oh, thank you so much. That will be great. Are you ready for your fun question? Yes, go, go for it. 
Now, Baptus, a little bird told me you like the great outdoors. Is that right? I do. Let's imagine an ideal world where you needn't be practical, so you can just imagine. Yeah. If you could take your family on holiday to any place on earth where there happens to be a lot of sand, there must be lots of sand, where would that be? Lots of sand. Mm. Um, I would have an imagination. I would, I would like to have a, a, a desert, like the Namib Desert, um, with a beautiful mountain range, uh, very close to it. So, um, with a few waterfalls uh, falling down from the from the mountain. Going into the desert, if I understand your uh, question, yeah. I'll be very imaginative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would like that, yes. I would like a beautiful mountain setting with forest and then going, flowing into uh, a desert-like uh, landscape around me um, and actually to enjoy both. Yeah, that you, would be great. you certainly like to have it all, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> there is just one thing I want to make sure that I communicate correctly regarding the processes. So the process of looking at thoughts, allowing yourself to feel, would also encapsulate a sense of self that's very important to understand that you are bigger than your thoughts. And that place of noticing the term we use in ACT is the self as context, or we would say the observing self. It's also to understand that you are the container of thoughts and feelings, and although you're not the content of these thoughts and feelings, the container has a specific quality and presence to it, which uh, is also a very big part of what we're trying to aim for in ACT together a better understanding of this bigger sense of self and, and the awareness and also looking at consciousness itself and then the processes to understand the self, noticing thoughts and feelings, we try to give it footwork, which the processes are then towards commitment uh, and action about what is important to you and what you value in life. So those Six processes then we encapsulate in a session and trying to look at different aspects of these processes to try and create psychological flexibility. Thank you, Bertis. You really unpacked this therapy, I think, in a, in a very understandable way. And it sounds to me like a very empowering and hands-on way to handle one's psychological problems in terms of one's values. Thank you. It's a great pleasure, Mariette, and thank you for the opportunity. It was, uh, was nice to share that uh, with the general public out there, and I hope that it will be useful for some of them. Yes, we do. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. I'd love you to subscribe to this podcast series and rate it where you download your podcasts. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. You're welcome to go to my website 
www.marietsneeman.co.za for this episode's podcast notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on love and intimacy, parenting, emotional health and managing life's challenges. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman, Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9 